Well, friends, I'm sad to say that this is our next to the last sermon in the series through the life and ministry of Elisha and Elijah. We have this week, we have next week, and then believe it or not, as Jonathan said, Advent is on the way. The last Sunday in November, that seems a little surreal, but two weeks from today, we will be beginning Advent at Providence Presbyterian Church, one of my favorite times of the year. But we're not done yet. We have some amazing things to see from the ministry of the prophet Elisha. This morning we're in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, Well, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you and your forces do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him, Elisha would warn the king so that the king saved himself there more than once or twice. In the mind of the king of Syria, he was greatly troubled because of this thing. And so he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And he said, well, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told to him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out and behold, an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Now, as we begin, I feel the need to offer a word of congratulations to our cross-town cross-state baseball rivals, the Houston Astros, for winning a world championship a couple weeks ago. In the minds of many, that kind of wipes away the stain of scandal that has been plaguing that operation since 2017 when they were caught committing one of the worst sign-stealing scandals of all time in any sport. Are you familiar with this sign-stealing scandal from our crosstown baseball rivals in South Texas? Have you heard about this? Do you know how they did it? Sometimes sin is very ingenious, okay? 
Go back to 2014. Major League Baseball allowed at that point for the use of instant replay so that you could challenge a call. Maybe you felt like your runner was safe at home when he was called out. And so there was a replay booth that would get a video feed and the Houston Astros placed one of their cameras on the center field wall that gave it a view of the infield. And so if you were in the replay booth for the Houston Astros and you thought the wrong call had been made, you could call down to the um, dugout and then the manager would protest the call. What the Houston Astros did is they installed a video camera near the dugout where people could watch the center field feed, okay? Do you know what the center field feed would give you access to seeing if you zoomed in? Do you have any idea? The signs that the catcher is making to the pitcher. So the catcher will make a series of signs to the pitcher to tell him which pitch to throw. So it could be one finger down between his legs. That could be a curveball. The pitcher could give two fingers down, that could be a curveball, three fingers down, maybe that would be a fastball. So here's what would happen. So the people near the Houston Astros dugout, I mean instantly, they would look and they would see the sign that the catcher was giving. They would relay it to the dugout. In the dugout, there was this plastic trash can, okay? And so they would get the sign, if you can follow this later, Tell me if this is clear as mud. So the person watching the video gets the sign that the catcher is doing. He makes a sign to the people in the dugout. If it's one finger down, if it's like a curve, somebody would take a bat and hit the trash can really loud. One sound. So the batter would hear that. He would know a curveball is coming. It would happen instantaneously. Okay? If he sees two fingers down for the changeup, there would be two beats, boom, boom. And you can go online and you can see how quickly these calls were relayed from their TV to the dugout and then boom, boom, and then the hitter would know. If it was three fingers down for a fastball, they wouldn't hit the drum at all. So the batter would know exactly what was coming. It was one of the, one of the most ingenious sign-stealing escapades in baseball history. A former player turned them in. How does that relate to our passage at all? It's an interesting story. The king of Syria was concerned, what? Someone's stealing my signs. Someone has access to what I'm doing before I do it. Okay, this is the ESV. Sometimes it's a little clunky and wooden, and so it's hard to... Interpret what's happening. Here's what's going on. So every spring, these kings would go to war in the ancient Near East. And this Syrian king is going to war against Israel, and he's seeking to engage in raids against Israel. Look at your map here. Sadly, our printer printed the wrong map, but this map will do, okay? <laughs> we love our printer, but... He was not on his A-game this week. Okay. So you can see Syria in the upper right-hand corner. Then you see Israel. You can see Dan and Hazor on the borders of Syria and Israel. They're right beside each other. So in certain times of year, 
the king of Syria would lead his army across the border and try to engage in raids against Israel. And Israel would have their little armies and their camps, and they would try to stop it. And so every time the king of Syria would come across the border and try to take out one of the Israelite camps, these army camps, Elisha knew what was going on. See, Elisha was the sign stealer. There wasn't a mole inside Syria. It was Elisha. Elisha knew what the king of Syria was doing, where he was sending his men, and then Elisha would call down to the dugout, as it were, and he would tell the king of Israel, you need to move your camp, the Syrians are coming. You need to move your camp, the Syrians are coming. Move your camp, they're coming, which infuriated the king of Syria. So of course, what does he think? He thinks there's a mole. He thinks someone inside his own operation is telling the Israelites, one of the servants of the king of Syria had done his own reconnaissance. And so he tells the king, oh no, there's not a mole. No one is selling us out from within Syria. Elisha's doing it. Elisha has so much knowledge about what you're doing. He knows the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. That's the advantage that the Israelites have. And so what does the king of Syria do? He freaks out. He says, well, let's go get him. Let's stop him. Let's send an, an army down to Dothan and take him out. If you look at your map, unfortunately, Dothan is not listed. But if you see Samaria, like look at Israel in the all caps, boldface font. Below that is Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel, okay? And right about where that Israel, the label Israel is, that's where Dothan is. So just remember that. If you want to write that down, fill that in. That's where Dothan is, okay? So that's where the king of Syria wants to send his army to surround the city, okay? That's what is happening here. Now, interesting, there's a theme that's going to run through this. There's going to, there's going to be a theme of people who struggle to seem to see clearly. Okay, there's a challenge to the reader to use the eyes of your heart to see. The problem is people were suffering from spiritual blindness. They were hard-hearted. They were stubborn. Therefore, they didn't see clearly, and you're going to see that theme developed. Because what's the problem in the context of the story for the Syrian commander? What's the problem? Elisha is reading his mail. Elisha knows what Syria is going to do before Syria does it. Elisha tells the king of Israel, and the king of Israel has the advantage. And so the king of Syria does what he says. Let's go get him. What's the obvious problem? Take a sip of your coffee. What's the obvious problem? If Elisha knows the things that the king is speaking in his bedroom, what will he also know? He will also know the Syrian forces are on their way to get him. But the king of Syria is not the sharpest tack in the box. He's not seeing things clearly, and so he sends his army to go get Elisha. Remember that. So the next morning, the servant goes out. Okay, so the next morning, imagine, or a couple days later, the scene has shifted to Dothan. Elisha's servant, this young man, he gets up, 
he stretches, he goes out to get the morning paper, okay? When he goes out to get the morning paper, he's like, oh my goodness, gulp. We are completely surrounded by a great Syrian army. Elisha, hello, Elisha, do you mind coming out here and see what's going on? We are in big trouble. Verses 15 and 16. When the servant of the man of God, he rises early in the morning, he goes out to get the paper. Behold, he sees an army, the Syrian forces with horses and chariots. They are all around the city. Gulp. What's going to happen? The servant said, alas, he cries out, my master, what shall we do? He, Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, this doesn't record a response by the servant, but what do you think the servant was thinking at this point after verse 16? He's thought, okay, finally, the old man, he's lost it, okay? Because I don't see anybody. All I see is this huge Syrian army surrounding us. I don't know what Elisha is seeing. I don't know what he ate last night. We got a problem. Verse 17, again, you're going to see this theme begin to get unfolded and unpacked. Then Elisha prayed. Like, he is nonplussed. He is not worried. He is the picture of peace and calm. Even though they're surrounded, Elisha prayed and said, Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. May he really see. This is one of the most glorious passages in the entire Old Testament. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The author wants you to be imagining this in your mind's eye. What would that have looked like? To the young man what was revealed to him who were these chariots of fire what do you think this is the lord of hosts army appearing in the military technology of the day did angels of the living god need chariots i don't think so if this same scene played, uh, played out today it's hard to know how these Angels of the living God would appear today with our technology. These are the same angels that appeared to escort Elijah into heaven just a few chapters before. This is the angelic army of the living God manifesting themselves in the military technology of the day, and they are surrounding the mountains on all sides. I mean, it gives me goosebumps, honestly, telling you this. The author wants you to imagine that. What would that have looked like? I know we have some artists here. I want to brag on Charlie Hagen. He's a great artist. Our little artists in here, you should draw this. You should imagine what this was like. This was absolutely jaw-dropping and overwhelming for this young man, this servant of Elisha. Look at that line again. In verse 17, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. You see that refrain all throughout Scripture. Lord, open their eyes so that they see. 
Let this be a people that walk by faith and not by sight. Help them to understand the forces that are truly at work. So a little trivia question for you. Take a sip of your coffee, okay? Is there something like this in another book of the Old Testament where the, the veil is pulled back, if you will? Is there another book of the Old Testament where God gives his people a behind-the-scenes look that is absolutely incredible? Just think about it for a minute. There's another book, and it's not an army. It's a singular figure that appears out of nowhere and is one of the most stunning passages in the Old Testament. I'm going to read a portion of it. The context is very similar. Does anybody know yet what I'm referring to? It's in the book. starts with a D. In the book of Daniel, okay? The book of Daniel is also a book written in kind of the same time period, same context. So, if you remember, First and Second Kings are written to encourage God's people when they return from exile back to the promised land. The people are living in Babylon. They lived in Babylon for 70 years. They're being encouraged to go back to the land. First and Second Kings is giving them a history of who they are as a people. It's written to encourage them when they went back, okay? Be a people that walk by faith, not by sight. You're gonna have all kinds of challenges. Daniel, when was Daniel written? When the people are in captivity, they are struggling. Daniel, the great prophet of God, he's overwhelmed. The people are languishing. Will they ever return back to the promised land? He's praying to God to get clarity. 21 days later, Daniel's prayer is answered, and it's answered in a big way. Let me read this. This is the prophet Daniel telling you and me how God answered his prayer when he was so discouraged and disillusioned and wondered if the people would ever go back home. Daniel writes in Daniel 10, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River. I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. This was not just any man. Do you know who he's about to describe? He's going to come up later in Advent. Also gives you goosebumps. He is describing the great archangel Gabriel. Gabriel of the living God was commissioned to answer Daniel's prayer. I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold. His body, he can't even describe what his body looks like. He's using metaphor and symbol. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning because he was, he was glowing bright. His eyes, eyes, they flamed like torches. His arms and his feet, they shone like polished bronze. His voice, this is a, his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. The, the tone, the timbre of his voice. Notice the similarity with what we're reading in 2 Kings. I, and I only, Daniel, saw the vision. The Lord had only given Daniel eyes to see, even though others were there. The men with me, they saw nothing, but they were terrified and afraid, and they ran away to hide because they sensed that something was going on. So I was left there all alone 
to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale. I felt very weak. That's how he's responding to this. The great Daniel, prophet of God, was so overwhelmed by seeing Gabriel and his glory that he almost fainted. I think he actually did faint. I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. The man said to me, Daniel, I want you to remember this line. Daniel, you are very precious to God. Do not be afraid. Since the very first day you began to pray for understanding and you humbled yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. For 21 days, the prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. In other words, there is an army of unseen forces all around this world right now, all around contesting, vying for the hearts and lives of God's people. There is an invisible world going on all around us. We don't have eyes to see it. I have come in answer to your prayer for 21 days, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a demon, blocked my way. Then this, then Michael, one of the archangels came to help me. And I left him there with the prince of Persia. Like Michael came to assist me so that I could be freed up to come to you and talk to you. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. Do not be afraid, Daniel. You are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. Soon I've got to go and return to fight the prince of Persia. And after that, the prince of Greece will come, meaning to oppose you. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these demonic princes except Michael. Do you know how he describes Michael? Michael is your prince. Michael, the archangel of the living God, is specially assigned to help and care for the people of Israel. Perhaps it was Michael under God's supervision that sent that mighty army to protect Elisha and that young boy. What's the message here? Not only from Daniel, but from 2 Kings. Beloved, have eyes that see. Open the eyes of your heart to believe what's going on all around you. You are not alone. I am not alone in this dark and difficult world. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, the Lord's at work moving and shaping and engaging and intervening, and he is deploying heavenly forces all around his people. I don't know about you. That's incredibly encouraging to me. Go to panel five. Let's look at the rest of the story. Let's see how this comes to its remarkable conclusion. This is how the story ends. And so when the Syrians, when they came down against him, so they are actually attacking now. They are bringing it on with full force. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, I think presumably through the agency of this heavenly army, 
They're surrounding the city as well. They're afflicting the Syrian army. This angelic army is inflicting the Syrian army with a kind of blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, now I got to use a Star Wars illustration here. Forgive me for just a moment. If you're any kind of Star Wars fan, you remember the sea when Obi-Wan Kenobi is taking the droids out of a particular area and they're about to be apprehended. And Obi-Wan Kenobi as the Jedi, what did he say? You know that famous line? These are not the droids that you seek. And the soldier there kind of mindlessly said, these are not the droids that we seek. And then he says, move along. And then the soldier says, yes, yes, just move along, you know. Maybe you don't get the connection, but it's a good one, okay? <laughs> At any rate, when God's army afflicts the Syrian army with blindness, you've got to follow the text, it's not a physical blindness. It's not that the Syrians can't see to follow Elisha. They're confounded. They're confused. Their vision is distorted. Like remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus when he shows up to Cleopas and the woman and they know what he looked like from his earthly ministry but their minds were veiled. That's what's happening here. Look what happens. Look at verse 19. Elisha said to them, okay, they knew Elisha was there. They knew they were in the right place but look what happens in verse 19. Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. And you can imagine them saying, no, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Okay, even though they knew it was the city, and they knew it was Elisha. So he's, he's confused them. Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And they're like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Look where he leads them. This is so unanticipated. And he led them to Samaria. I, that would be the equivalent of leading an army to like the greatest army base in our country that sadly I can't say. You know, with just like massive amounts of like American soldiers, it would be like leading terrorists to like an army military base. Like that was not the place the Syrians wanted to go. But it's amazing. Um, and so imagine in your mind's eye the Syrian army is confused, they're confounded, they're not thinking clearly, and so they follow Elisha like 60 miles south from Dothan to Samaria of all places, like a hornet's nest of Israelite soldiers. Look with me at verse 20. And you'll see this, this theme um, repeated here. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, does this sound familiar? Oh Lord, open the eyes of these men. Why? that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and what? And they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now what do you think they thought? They were like, gulp? How in the world did this happen? We were just surrounding Elisha and this young man in Dothan, and now we find ourselves in Samaria, and now we're the ones surrounded. I would argue that this passage almost is without parallel in the entire Old Testament when you see what happens next. Verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, like, this is my lucky day. Like, it is, like, 
I can't believe how fortune has just dropped in my lap, okay? As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he was amazed. He said to Elisha, my father, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Like, this is my opportunity. Let's wipe them out. Let's end this threat. Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive, those who surrendered to you with their sword and bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he's like, what? You want me to do what? They have just been served up on a platter? And you want me to feed them and care for them and provision them and send them home? Look at verse 23. This is inconceivable. They go from being executed in mass to enjoying table fellowship with God's people. You've got to understand in the context of the ancient Near East, to feast with someone, to enjoy table fellowship with someone, was to go from being their enemy to their friend, to their ally, to being a part of the family, as it were. Verse 23, inconceivable that the king of Israel would do this. He prepared for them a great feast. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they went to their master. And this is one of the most subtle understatements anywhere in the Bible. Look at this little line at the end of verse 33, how the story comes to conclusion. And the Syrians, how did they respond? They never came again on raids to the land of Israel. Is there a line in the New Testament that kind of sums that up? It is the kindness of God that does what? That leads to repentance. It is the kindness of God Almighty through the person and work of Jesus Christ that leads to repentance. God has extended his kingdom by bringing I would imagine almost all of you to himself. He took you from the kingdom and the army of darkness and he enlisted you as a soldier for Jesus Christ and how many drops of your blood was spilt when he overcame your heart and brought you into his kingdom? How many drops of blood were spilt of yours? Zero. How many drops of Syrian blood achieved this victory in the context of 2 Kings? How many drops of blood were spilt in winning this great victory? None. This was supposed to be jaw-droppingly encouraging to the people of God as they will soon go back to their land. The God who could win this kind of victory through spiritual forces without so much as a drop of blood is the kind of God you can trust in. This is the kind of God that you can believe in. This is the kind of God that you know is with you even when you can't see him. What is Hebrews 11? How does it define faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. God is calling us to open the eyes of our heart to understand how God is doing these things through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has achieved the greatest most remarkable victory ever throughout, without dropping, without shedding a drop of our blood. But he did it by doing what? Shedding his own. 
This was the most unlikely manner of victory. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most unlikely manner of victory. A crucified Jewish Messiah. Think about that. A crucified Jewish Messiah was hung on a tree and through his life, death, and resurrection, he's redeemed the world. Inconceivable. What's the point? That's the kind of God you can believe in and trust in and is with you at all times, hard times, good times, difficult times, struggles. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, give us eyes to see like you gave that young man. Give us eyes to see. Lord, allow the eyes of our heart to see and believe and trust that the mighty God who was at work at the Old Testament that was culminated through Jesus Christ in the new is still at work today. Lord, we recognize that there are demonic princes all over this world seeking to destroy your people and ruin your church. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have also deployed your heavenly army through amazing supervision from archangels, Gabriel and Michael and others. No doubt, Lord, we have angels of the living God protecting our church, angels protecting our people. Lord, use these angels to watch over us and care for us and point us to our only hope through the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Lord, help, to, help to open the eyes of our hearts so that we believe and trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In his matchless name we pray, amen and amen.